Welcome to Salt and Light with Pastor Rodney Finch. Salt and Light is a radio outreach ministry of Calvary Chapel, Cary. Jesus, speak to me. Open your word and reveal your heart to me. Salt and Light is a series of verse-by-verse studies through the Bible, focusing on its practical application to our everyday lives. Salt and Light is recorded live at Calvary Chapel, Cary, in Apex, North Carolina. Stay tuned. At the end of the program, we will give you information on how to contact us, so be sure to have a pen and paper ready. Today, Pastor Rodney will be teaching from the book of 2 Samuel, chapter 24. So grab your Bibles and follow along. Now with today's teaching, here's Pastor Rodney. We come to the end of our study in 2 Samuel. Uh, I hope that you learned something in First and Second Samuel. I tell you, I love, uh, I had many of you tell me you love the history books, and so do I. And uh, so I really enjoyed um, teaching First uh, and Second Samuel. And tonight, this is the last time I'll say this for a while, so let me say it. First and Second Samuel, First and Second Kings was originally one book or a single composition in the Hebrew canon. In the Septuagint, 1st, 2nd Samuel, and 1st, 2nd Kings are called the 1st, 2nd, 3rd, 4th books of the kingdom. And the kingdoms refer to the second, the two kingdoms in the north and Judah in the south. 2nd Samuel is a book about David's life and his 40-year reign as king. Samuel... You know, I told you, have you been with me? Samuel divides nicely into three sections, chapters one through 10. We find David's triumphs. Chapters 11 through 12, we have David's trials. And chapter 13 through 24, we have David's troubles. Chapters 1 through 10, David's triumphs. Chapters 11 through 12 and 12, David's trials. 13 through 24, where we are tonight, David's troubles. In 2 Samuel, we see the rise of a king. And you know I titled this uh, book, uh, The Rise of the King. Uh, We see the rise of the king. In 2 Samuel, we see David's life and David's humanity, his royalty, his failures, his sin, his successes. And we see his repentance in 2 Samuel. We see the man after God's own heart. And we're going to see more of that tonight, the man after God's own heart. In 2 Samuel, David becomes the greatest king who ever lived except for Jesus. There are more chapters. If you've been with us in Samuel, you know there are more chapters in the Old Testament dedicated to the life of King David than any other character in the Bible. More than Abraham, more than Joseph, more than Jacob. More than Moses, David is mentioned over a thousand times in the Bible. Now, when you think of David, um, many times when we think of David, we think of David's sin. We think of David and Bathsheba and the murder of her husband. Anybody know his name? Uriah. Uriah, you know that. And most of us would say that that was the low point in David's life. And it was. But tonight we come to another low point recorded in David's life. When David sinned against Bathsheba, David was middle-aged. Maybe he was having a middle-aged crisis. You know, when 
men have those middle-aged crises. They get a red Corvette, start wearing a bunch of gold chains and tight clothes, hair plugs for men. And many men, I'm sorry, many men give in to all kinds of sin at middle age. You would think as we grow older that, you know, the whole sin thing gets easier. You would think that, but dream on. That's just not true. The sin that uh, tempts us today may not tempt you later, but there'll be other sins that creep in. Tonight, we come to the close of 2 Samuel. We'll see David's great sin. I've titled this sermon, David's Great Sin. 2 Samuel 24, saints. I'm going to ask you to put your finger in 1 Chronicles 21. So 2 Samuel 24, and then you'll have 1 Kings, 2 Kings, and then Chronicles. 1 Kings, 2 Kings, Chronicles. Turn those pages. Put your finger in Chronicle or maybe get a business card or some piece of something and put it in Chronicles, First uh, Chronicles 21. First Chronicles 21, all right? And we're going to flip back and forth there tonight, and we need to pick up. We got a lot, all right? Second Samuel 24, last chapter in Samuel, saints. We're looking at verse 1. If you're looking at verse 1, Say, I'm looking at it. And again, the anger of the Lord was aroused against Israel. And he moved David against them to say, go number Israel and Judah. Saints, stop right there. Give me your attention. As we mentioned in 2 Samuel, right about chapter 21 through 24, I told you that chapters 21 through 24 are not in chronological order. These chapters are looking back over the earlier years of David. Uh, These chapters are wrapping up things as David comes to the end of his life. David takes a pen and he begins to write these chapters. In verse 1, again, the Bible says the anger of the Lord was aroused against Israel. And look at verse 1. And he, circle that, he moved against them to number Israel and Judah, the Bible says. Notice the he in verse one, he moved against, he moved David against Israel. Some scholars say the he in verse one is God. Some say that God moved David to sin. Some scholars say the he in verse one is Satan. Some say Satan moved David to sin. So the question, did God move David to sin or did Satan move David to sin? Well, which one is it, Pastor? Well, listen, it's both. It's both. First Chronicles chapter 21, go there. First Chronicles is a parallel. First Chronicles 21 is parallel to 2 Samuel 24. Remember that or write it down. First Chronicles chapter 21 Look at verse one. Now, Satan stood up against Israel and what saints moved David to number Israel. You see that? So first Chronicles 21, one tells us both. It was something Satan inspired, but God allowed. 
Are you with me? Something Satan inspired, but God allowed. Nothing can happen to the believer unless it's filtered through the hand of God. And God does not tempt people to do things against his will. James chapter 1 verse 13 tells us, Let no man say when he is tempted, I'm tempted of God, for God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he himself tempt anyone. Now you know the story. Job, Satan says to God, Job serves you because there's nothing, there's everything in it for him. There's something in it for him. God said, touch him, Satan, but don't touch his soul. Don't take his life. And Satan burned down all of Job's fields, killed all of his herds, burned down all of the houses, killed all the kids. He leaves his wife alive. And she said, (laughs) she said, I'm sorry, they didn't come out right. That just didn't come up right. Okay. Remember that? Nice wife. And you know, Job passed a test. Well, listen, God didn't afflict Job. God allowed Satan to afflict Job. And God was in control the entire time. So God doesn't allow us to go through anything. Somebody once said that God, and when we're going through things, that God keeps one hand on you and another on the thermostat the cross. So he always knows when things are heating up, he won't put more on you than you can bear. But God is always in control. Satan can't do anything to you that God doesn't allow. And that should make you happy. And that should bring you comfort. As God allowed these things to happen. Look at verse two. So the king, look at verse two, we got to pick up. So the king said to Joab, the commander of the army who was with him, no, now go out throughout all the tribes of Israel. Watch this, saints. Now go out through all the tribes of Israel from Dan to Beersheba and count the people that I might know the number of the people. And Job said to the king, now may the Lord your God add to the people a hundred times more than they are. And may the eyes of my Lord, the king, see it. But why does my Lord, the king, desire this thing? Nevertheless, the king's word prevailed against Joab and against the captains of the army. Therefore, Joab and the captains of the army went out from the presence of the king to count the people of Israel. And they crossed over the Jordan and camped in Aor or Aor on the right side of the town, which is in the midst of the ravine of Gad and toward Jazir. And they came to Gilead to the land of that place. And they came to Dan. John and around to Sidon and they came to the stronghold of Tyre and all the cities of the Hivites and the Canaanites and then they went out to South Judah as far as Beersheba so when they had gone through all the land they came to Jerusalem at the end of the nine months and how many days 20 days and then Joab gave the sum of the number of the people to the king and there were in Israel eight hundred thousand valiant men who drew the sword and the men of Judah were five hundred thousand men saying stop right there give me your attention David said to Joab go throughout all the tribes and count all the people from Dan to Beersheba that I might know how many people are there and Joab said may God add a hundredfold more or whatever the number may God add many more Joab said, King, look at it in verse 3. Why do you want to know this thing? 
Now, we don't know exactly why David wanted to know the number. Maybe it's because David's getting older and he wanted to know what the military strength was. And maybe he's thinking my son Solomon is going to take over soon. And maybe David's thinking, man, I got a great army. I got a strong army. I got a great legacy. I want to leave a strong, powerful nation to the people and they'll know that I'm a great general. We are not really sure. Uh, We should understand that just before this event, David had a great victory over the Philistines. Maybe David wanted to see how big his kingdom had become. Or maybe, just maybe, it was pride. Maybe it was pride. The sin of pride is David's great sin. The one condition, saints, listen, of the heart, the one condition of the heart that God will always, always resist, and that is pride. James 4, 6, 1 Peter 5, 5, both those verses say the same thing. James 4, 6, 1 Peter 5, 5, God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Now, why does God resist the proud? Because pride drives a wedge between you and God. Pride destroys nations and marriages and families and moms and dads. Proverbs sixteen eighteen, pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. Pride keeps people from receiving instruction. They aren't teachable. You ever know somebody like that? Like you tell them something, they say, oh, I know that, I know that. <laughs> yeah, well, then, yeah, 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 I know that, I know that. And God's word says this, and we should be this way. Yeah, 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 I know that, I know that. They're not teachable. That's pride. Pride keeps people from admitting they're wrong. You ever meet somebody that can never say they're wrong? You know what I'm talking about, don't you? She's like, mmm, that's good. Yes, it is. It's true. There are people that you never, never can say they're wrong. Listen, you're not always right. Sometimes you're wrong. You can be wrong. You think you're right or you're not. No one is. God is right all the time. And when you're wrong, admit it. Say it. Just say I'm wrong. Some people, they can't even use the word wrong. I am. Listen, I want to tell you, I am. What? Huh? I am wrong. What was that? You're wrong. But that's pride. Pride is nothing more than taking the middle letter of the word pride, I-P-R-I-D-E, taking that letter I and exalting it. That's pride. Proverbs 6, 19, 6 through 19. These six things the Lord hates, yes, seven are an abomination to him, a proud look, a lying tongue, hands that shed innocent blood, a heart that divides wicked plans, feet that are swift in running to evil, a false witness who speaks lies, and one who sows discord among the brethren. Seven things that God hates, and did you note that? Right at the top of his list is what? Pride. Every sin flows out of pride. And it is interesting God doesn't say seven things I hate, alcoholics. I hate people who who do drugs. Or I hate people who break the law. God doesn't say that. It's really interesting. God says 
Seven things I hate, and the number one thing is pride. Because if you're prideful, God can't even do anything with you. If you're not willing to humble yourself under the mighty hand of God, and he will exalt you in due time, God can't do anything with you. God hates pride. William Barclay said pride is the ground in which all other sins grow and the parent from which all other sins come. Pride. Quick story. Love this story. A lady went to a preacher to make a confession, and she said to him, I must confess a great sin in my life. He said, what is it? She said, it's the sin of pride. I stand in front of my mirror and admire my beauty for hours on end. The preacher... (laughs) The preacher replied, lady, your sin is not the sin of pride. It's the sin of imagination. <laughs> okay, one more. Just one, one more and I promise to move on, okay? Story's been told of a lion who was very proud and decided to take a walk one day to demonstrate his majesty and mastery over all the creatures. He strutted his way, this lion strutted his way through the forest until he came across a bear Who is the king of the jungle, bear? Why, of course, you are a mighty lion. He went on until he found a tiger. Who is the king of the jungle, tiger? Why, you are a great lion. Well, next, the lion found the elephant. Who is the king of the jungle, fat elephant? The elephant immediately grabbed the lion with his trunk and spun him around a few times, slammed him on the ground. He then stepped on him a few times, picked him up, dunked him in the water, and then threw him up against the tree. The lion staggered to his feet and said, look, just because you don't know the answer is no reason to get so upset. <laughs> pride. Pride. Let me, let me see. Pride. Pride. God resists the proud. Gives grace to the humble. So David said to Joab, go throughout all the tribes and count the people. Joab realizes, notice in your text, there's something wrong about that. Notice David, Joab says, why do you, why do you want to know this? Why does the Lord, the king, desire? Joab says there's something wrong. David shouldn't be doing this. Joab said, king, why do you want to know this thing? The problem, listen, with numbering the people wasn't numbering the people. The problem with numbering the people was David was into numbers. Y'all didn't get that. The problem with numbering the people wasn't numbering the people, period. That wasn't the problem. The problem is David was into numbers. David should have been into God. He should have been into God's power because David saw great and incredible things happen in his life that God did that had nothing to do with numbers. He goes out and kills a giant with one stone and a sling. Had nothing to do with numbers. Psalm 20. Some men trust in chariots and some men trust in horses, but we will trust in the name of our God. David wrote that. So David all of a sudden is looking to numbers. Jeremiah 17, 5, cursed is the man who trusts in the arm of the flesh. David didn't have a million man army when he killed that one stupid giant. He had one stone and one powerful God. So it seems that David is getting older and something has changed. And he's leaning on his own understanding and trusting in numbers. And isn't that true of the church today? Are we trusting in numbers? 
Somebody once said nickels and noses. This is what the church is concerned about. Nickels and noses. Money, people. Numbers. Man, we got to get a bunch of numbers. We got to get some people in here. I don't care what we got to do. Whatever we got to do, we got to have, you know, praise and worship need to sound like a concert. The stage need to be like a concert. We need to have smoke coming out on the stage and it needs to be heavenly. We need to have all the cool stuff and everything got to be just right, just tight, just like the world. Franchise market that thing, man. So we can get the people in, get that money, pay them bills, nickels and noses, people, big crowds. The church is in the big crowds now. I never cared for big crowds. Never. We started our church. I, I, y'all know I told you. I thought if we had 250 people, I remember saying, Elva, I said, honey, if we had 250 people, when we had like 30 people. I said, honey, if we have 250 people, that'd be a huge church. I'm like, man, the Lord. So we got like 250 people. I'm like, oh, my gosh, look at all these people. Man, look at all these, God, look at all these people. You're sending all these people. And I was happy with just those people. I'm just happy to pastor anybody that, look, anybody that comes other than me and Miss Elvira <laughs> is one more than we ever deserve. Ever. I'm not looking for a bunch of people. I never really cared about a bunch of people. Because I don't want to be responsible for all y'all, no way. <laughs> Shoot, I get to heaven, God said, well, what about them? I'm like, Lord, they were some tough sheep. You don't even know. You don't even know. Them people got sharp teeth. I don't want to be passing all them people. Look at verse four. They traveled from Dan to Beersheba. I keep saying I'm going to move faster, but they're going to get slower. They traveled from Dan to Beersheba. Verse 8, they came to Jerusalem at the end of nine months and 20 days. Now, it didn't take them nine months and 20 days to go through the land of Israel. Nine months and 20 days of God speaking to David's heart. What took the time is they were counting up the fighting men. And the number of those who could fight were 800,000 valiant men. The men of Judah were 500,000. Do the math. David has 1,300,000 soldiers. That's a huge army. Now turn with me to First Chronicles real quick and look at uh, chapter 21 and verse 5. First Chronicles 21, 5. First Chronicles 21, 5. Then Joab gave the sum of the number of the people to David. All Israel had 1,100,000 men who drew the sword. And Judah, y'all see this, had 470 men or 470,000 men who drew the sword. You see that? Now, that's 1,100,000 men who drew the sword. Judah had 470,000 men who drew the sword. So Samuel here, let's do this math. Samuel tells us, we just read it, right? Has 1,300,000 who drew the sword. Now, some say, well, there's a discrepancy in the Bible. 
because Samuel says there was 1,300,000. Chronicles tells us there was 1,000,000 just over 170,000. So people say there's a discrepancy there. Well, note this, saints. Samuel tells us 800,000 valiant men. When Samuel tells us that these are 800, look at Samuel again in verse 9, 800,000 valiant men or seasoned men. Then there were soldiers who were just fighters, not seasoned warriors. Now, the account in First Chronicles 21.6, we learn if you look at verse 6 in First Chronicles 21, it tells us the number did not include Levi or Benjamin. Are y'all getting that? They weren't counted. So if you count the men who were not seasoned soldiers and you also count the men of Levi and Benjamin, you come up with the number that's in 1 Samuel, 2 Samuel, a lot of numbers, 2 Samuel 24. You see that? And people say, oh, there's a discrepancy. There's no discrepancy at all works out. Notice, let's move forward. Second Samuel, go back there. Look at verse 10. I'm going to try to finish this chapter in like 15 minutes, okay? Don't laugh. I'm going to do it. And David's heart, I have to because we're done tonight. And David's heart condemned him after he had numbered the people. So David, verse 10, said to the Lord, I have sinned greatly, underline that, I've sinned greatly in what I have done. You have been listening to Salt and Light, a radio outreach ministry of Pastor Rodney Finch and Calvary Chapel Cary, located in Apex, North Carolina. Join Pastor Rodney Monday through Friday at this same time. For information regarding service times, you can contact us at 1-800-293-0923. That's 1-800-293-0923. You may listen to today's broadcast in its entirety by visiting the Media Library on our website at cccarry.org. We would like to thank you for tuning in to Salt and Light and pray that you have been blessed. Until next time, may you be salt and light.